more than generous welcome. It's a great joy to be, my goodness, it's, talk about homecoming. Well, I've been here for 33 years. Um, there's a lot before that which we won't get into. I'm very glad to have this opportunity. It was funny how this happened, though, because <laughs> we really had other dates. We had another date for my preaching next week. And then it was drawn to my attention by Jen that, well, we were hoping to have students do their thing that day. Do you think you could move over a bit? So I said, sure, I'll move over a bit. Where do you want me to move? So <laughs> which was to come here today. And that's why today and not, not, not next week. As it happens, I have to be in New Brunswick next week because I'm preaching at another ordination um, at the beginning of next week. Most of you know that Chapel is following this theme, Living Loud. And today, specifically, Living Loud in Love. What better theme to encapsulate what our mission is all about? The title suggests something, of course, of which we're not ashamed. To live loud is, of course, risky. You may just be making a noise. But that's not our purpose. By the way, if anybody has difficulty understanding me, you get used to that, you just listen for a little while. Um, Scots people are reluctant to give up anything. <laughs> even, even their accents. <laughs> well, here we are. Now, this, this idea of living loud in love doesn't imply aggressiveness or arrogance at all. It does imply confidence, however. Confidence to the level of unashamed witness. And today the main emphasis of the message is on living out loud in love. That is to say, at the heart of the message, which we are called to share, is the challenge not to be ashamed of our faith. Because at the heart of the gospel is good news of a God whose very nature is love. Indeed, the New Testament says, as you very well know, God is love. And that sums it up. Last Wednesday, <coughs> we listened to Pelham's message, which challenged us all and challenged me as well as, as well as others about our willingness on this campus to be open about our faith. And I appreciate you doing that for us. He challenged us to be unashamed of the gospel. And I appreciated that. And you know, we can do that without making people mad or making them think we're a bunch of crackpots. But we cannot be effective Christians on a secular campus if we fall prey to two mistakes. The first is the mistake of coming on to people with too much pushiness, too much pressure, too much insisting that we have it all together and they have just to sit and listen and learn. Huge mistake. It's a huge mistake to try to push people into the kingdom. It doesn't work that way. Jesus drew them in by his love for people. That's how he got them. He drew them by his love and his loyalty to his Father's will. And that's a kind of twin calling we have today. And the other, the other um, big mistake is that of failing to respond to spiritual and our personal needs in the lives of others. 
Because there are people all around us on this campus. Some of them are in our classes. Some of us are friends. People all over the place on this campus who have needs. And one of our challenges as Christian people is to be open to discerning what the needs are on this campus. They may be emotional, they may be psychological, they may be social. But you know, they all need to be dealt with sensitively and with compassion. We can greatly influence others by the gospel by loving them far more than by yelling at them. Did you notice when the scripture was read that Paul wrote in, in, in this the first of his letters, by the way the two letters to the Thessalonians are reckoned to be the first two letters we have from the Apostle Paul. They're great little letters but both of them have a strong emphasis on the second coming of Christ. You've probably noticed that already and if you haven't, well it's worth taking note of. Because at the heart of the gospel is a confidence in the Christ who did so much for us, but the Christ who's not through with us yet. He has a plan for the future. And we don't always know what that plan is, but we know it. He has it. And we can trust his plan unfailingly. And this is what he said in, in uh, combining some very basic ideas of the faith in that, in that, in that little epistle. He says, we thank God for you and always mention you in our prayers. That was read to us this morning. Each time we pray, we tell our God and Father, oh, by the way, this is taken not now from the NIV, which is a great translation. This is actually taken from the new um, version produced in Canada, actually. Um, And it's, it's very excellent. This is what it says. We thank God for you and always mention you in our prayers. Each time we pray, we tell our God and Father about your faith and your loving work and about your firm hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how he blends these three basic New Testament ideas, faith, hope, and love. They're all part of the gospel. They're all part of what makes us tick. They're all part of what calls us. Notice how he includes these three great features of the faith, faith, hope, and love. And some of you will know, perhaps, that I came to Canada and Walthall in 1980, from Scotland, of course, before some of you were born, I imagine. And if, if you were born, you're older than I thought you were. <coughs> you know, but I've had a huge privilege of having God lead me into a ministry that has taken me all over the world. Before I came to Canada in 1980, I'd already served in ministry for 23 years, and basically in Scotland, but all over the world, in fact, including most of the communist countries of the world and many others. These were very varied countries like Russia, which I visited quite a number of times, Hungary, Romania, and many others. But not only in the communist world, but in the wider world. I had some very significant visits to Bangladesh, for example. 
from which we have had a student in the last year or two. Um, to Australia. I've actually paid nine preaching visits to Australia through my ministry. To Malaysia, to Hong Kong, to mainland China several times. And I'm excited to hear what's going to take place in a few weeks when Dr. Gardner and his wife make their way to to mainland China. And through this kind of ministry, I've seen many people, I take no credit for this, but I've seen many people come to trust Christ in all of these situations and countries. And I've had numerous opportunities to be a witness for Christ, sometimes in the most unlikely places all over the world. For example... After I'd been in Romania quite a few times in Eastern Europe, at that time I was president of the European Baptist Federation. That's what happens to you, know, they, they, they get you in a corner and they appoint you to something. That's, that's you, you're landed with it. <coughs> well, in 1970, I was elected to be the president of the European Baptist Federation. And that's a two-year stint. But what it does, it carries you over for years and years to come. Because for the next eight years after I finished my two-year stint at the presidency, I was chairman for evangelism and mission for the for the whole of Europe. So it, 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 you don't get off you don't get off a hook by fulfilling your term, and uh, that's all right. Um, in 1970, I was visiting. You know, at that time when I first visited the Soviet countries. I used to feel that every step I took was being monitored. The truth is, it was. I couldn't make a move without it being, no- without it being noted. I couldn't make a statement without it being recorded. <coughs> and I certainly couldn't preach without great discretion and care. I remember the surprise that came to me one day when I was pre- I was, I'd been preaching in Romania. And... Uh, I had made a practice of an early decision I made in my ministry here that I would never criticize the government of the country I was visiting. I've stayed with that all my life. Never criticize the host government. Because if you do, you make enemies much more quickly than you make friends. And I made that decision way back early in my ministry. And after every step I took, I began to find that from a situation of suspicion and examination and monitoring, the mood changed. And in Romania, I think it was my third or fourth visit to Romania, I was being interviewed on the radio by, by in, in Romania, a well-known interviewer. And I had no idea where he was coming from. Except by then I had learned that they were beginning to trust me as a visitor who wasn't going to embarrass them by attacking them. This is very important to know. It's very important if we're going to have any influence on unbelieving people around us, not to come at them with a savagery that suggests they're wrong and you're altogether right. No, it's much, much, it's much better in my experience to be modest enough without at all minimizing your witness to the faith. Never do that, please. But to recognize you are a guest in somebody else's country. 
I remember the day I realized my interview was live. Um, because usually in the, in, in the early days when I first traveled in Eastern Europe, they always monitored what you said. And the way they did it was this. They recorded everything and they didn't broadcast it until they could hear it replayed. Mm-hmm. I was never told that, but I knew it. So when I preached, what I said, the people heard only when it was vetted by the authorities. That went on for a year or two. But slowly it began to change. And I realized one day in Romania that my interviewer was live and that the interview was live. And I was no longer being constantly monitored as to whether what I might say would be offensive to them because they were becoming trusting of my integrity. That was very important. I don't regard it as an achievement. It's just a matter of trying to relate to the context in which you are and to relate relevantly. <coughs> you see, some, some visitors to the communist countries had the idea that their job was to come in there and straighten things out. Big mistake. I remember I was preaching in a church <coughs> where a black lady who was a visitor, invited by the Baptist Convention of the area, um, was asked to speak, just to bring a greeting. Well, she took off. She took off and she told them how glad she was to have the opportunity of telling these poor oppressed people in the Soviet of her oppression as a black person in America. And I sat, sat there, trembling. I thought, what in the world is she going to do next? Well, all she did was make sure she was never invited back. That's all. She was quite adamant about it. She, she, she had felt opposition in her own country because of her blackness. And now that she had an opportunity to speak to communist background people, she took it by the horns, as it were. And she told them she understood very well how difficult it was, must be for them to live under Soviet communism. She'd been there because she'd been treated as a black person as inferior in her own country. She said openly that, that uh, she felt sympathy for us because we were suffering as she had suffered. And I think she thought that would, that would somehow engage with them. Well, it didn't, of course, it just estranged them. The people hearing her thought, what in the world is she trying to do? She was trying to establish that she and her background were right and that the communist background was altogether wrong. How foolish. Very early I saw how unwise it was to criticize your host country. And never in all the years since then have I ever said a word of criticism of the host country which I'm visiting. Now I commend that to you because if God takes you into international type of ministry, be very careful. You can be as open about your faith as you want to be and you should be. Unashamed of it. Clear about it. But not if it means attacking your host. Because your host may not be a believer, may be a believer, secretly even, but may not be a believer. And your task is to communicate the gospel. Don't forget that. The message we have to communicate when we talk about uh, living in love is the gospel of love. 
There's nothing harsh about the gospel. It's clear in what it says, and it's not compromised in any way. But it does not make its agenda to attack other systems and other people. All you do that by doing that is to alienate them. Well, I remember in, in, in back to Romania for a moment, I remember after a few visits there, I was in the middle of an interview and I thought, you know, this is, this is getting easier. I've been here four or five times in, in Romania and these people were now talking to me like a friend. I was no longer under suspicion, I felt. And I wasn't, in fact. But then that black lady came along and <laughs> she almost ended up with a cat among the pigeons, you know. It was, uh, it was very difficult because she wanted to straighten everybody out. Everybody else, that is. I very quickly learned what a mistake it is to be negative towards other people. You know, and that went back, the beginnings of that went back to my early visits. And I first visited the USA in 1963, I think it was. So that's going back a ways. And when I first arrived there, coming from Scotland, as I was at that time, at the invitation of the Foreign Mission Board or the Sunday School Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, um, I was asked to preach all over the country. I started in New York. I went to Baltimore. And then I went down to Atlanta. And I won't go into all the places, but I went to a dozen places between there and the south um, in the, the, the southern states. <coughs> But, you know, <coughs> I was, <coughs> at that stage I was unfamiliar with what was going on in the country. And I remember the shock I had on <coughs> being taken to a restaurant at the hotel where the TV announcer, just on my arrival actually, the TV announcer had broken and he said, now, we have an announcement to make. There's a riot going on just around the corner from your hotel. I will be get my camera out and I'll go and scout it out, which I, which I did. I never saw the riot. I never saw it. Uh, I did come across a white uh, policeman and a black road sweeper standing shoulder to shoulder chit-chatting about the day. Not at all antipathetic towards each other. And that, believe me, was at the height of communist power. But people are people. And these two people had learned how to get along. And uh, I, remember, I remember that day, because I, I, I came back, I went back to my room quickly. I said, what am I going to do here? So I, I thought, well, I'm going to scout this place out. So I went out into the street, and I spent an hour walking up and down the streets, <coughs> trying to find this riot. Never found it, not yet. Oh, now I have seen some very sinister things over the years but that particular day was a day when I was I was just overwhelmed by the sense of normality and over the years since then I have paid many many visits to the USA I preached in 35 to 40 states over the years not, not recently because um, I stay close to home now more than I did then and it's maybe just as well I may have got lost somewhere um, but one of the many things I've learned from such a varied life and this is a 
point of this today's message. One of the things I've learned from such a varied life is learning to love people who are completely different, it seems, from me. To love them regardless. To love them without qualification. It all began in my teens, I think, when I got involved in street ministry. I'll never forget these days, when I was 17, 18, I was out in the streets of Edinburgh witnessing to Christ. I did not learn to preach in seminary. Don't, don't, don't quote this outside edition, please. <laughs> I did not learn to preach in seminary. I learned to preach in the engagement with people in the street who didn't have a faith and who needed one desperately. Oh boy. But the foundations of a lifetime of evangelistic ministry were laid on these streets of Edinburgh. So I want to say to you, if the foundations of life, of your life, are evangelistic, that you lay foundations that lead you into a ministry to other people with the good news, if God opens doors to reach others, don't ever despise that and don't think you're beyond it. I developed a friendship in Edinburgh on the streets. A man who was about 15 years older than I was. I was 18, so he'd be in his mid-30s or thereabouts. And he was a professional actor, a very good one. But he was also a hopeless drunk. And every time he came back to Edinburgh, because he came back when he had a break from his touring around, doing his thing, I would pick him up in the street and I'd pick him up blind drunk. Chris was his name. Oh, no, no reference to any other Chris's. The English, the English Chris's are an amenable crowd. Anyway. Oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't do that, should I? Anyway, um, Chris Johnson became a real friend. I never had the joy of seeing him actually openly confess Christ. But for about three years, I spent a lot of time with him. Whenever he came home, I'd pick him up in the street and I would take him home him a meal. I remember one time I picked him up and I said, now we're going to have coffee and you're going to drink black coffee because you're drunk. I was very blunt. <coughs> he said, yes, I know I'm drunk. He said, so take me there. So I took him to this coffee shop and fed him black coffee until he was sober. Now, to begin with, it wasn't too easy because he was, he was not only drunk, but he was, he was trying to work out what was going on. And he made a big mistake. It could have been a disastrous one. It wasn't in the end. He said, now, just give me a minute. I've got to go to the washroom, to use Canadian terms. And off he went. Only he went into the ladies' room. When he came back, I said, Chris, do you know where you've been? Yeah, he said, I've been in the ladies' room. I said, pardon me? Ladies, of course, is a Scottish slang word for ladies. It's only got one D in it. And what he had done, he'd gone into this ladies' restroom thinking it was a gents one. Because he saw the word ladies, as he thought. That shows how, just shows how drunk he was. Well, <laughs> I said, well, never mind that just now. Drink your coffee and keep drinking it until you've sobered up. And we did. That, that was, and that was a very exciting contact. Chris and I became very good friends. I used to look out for him every time I was passing through the city. 
and spotting him again and again and again, often in a drunken state and ready to be helped. Or I think of quite different people. I remember in, in Russia, an old man stood up at the end of one of the services and I was just, I hadn't quite finished preaching. And it happens like that sometimes. And this man stood up in the middle of the service and he was Russian and he spoke in Russian. So somebody translated for me. And he stood there at 72 years of age. He said, I have never heard anything like this in my life. I have never been in a Christian church in my life. Tonight I've heard enough to make me want to be a Christian. It just blew me away. And it was God at work. But I think of, oh, there are so many people. I think of a young man in Jakarta, in Indonesia, who took seriously ill. I didn't know about this at first until somebody came and said to me, will you come and meet with us after the service? We want you to pray with a young man who is critically ill and we don't think he's going to make it. I said, well, certainly I'll come and pray with you. So I went and prayed with him. And we prayed for his, <coughs> prayed for his healing. And uh, a typical Western skepticism, we wondered what was going to happen next. Well, next day he was in the choir. Up and at him. Right as rain. God had just healed him. So, you know, you can't have these experiences and be the same. Or I think of, and I'll stop with this because time flies, an old man I met when I was 22 years of age. I was preaching quite a lot at 22 years of age. And... Um, I'd gone out with a group of others, there were six or eight of us, and we had formed a team of witnesses. And this old, this old fellow came to the service, and at the end of the service he, he wanted to see me. I said, what can I do for you? He said, I want to trust Christ. He was 82 years of age. I said, well, what makes you say that? Well, I said, I've just heard him speak to me tonight. And he said, I'll never be the same without him. So he said, and he said, this is what he said. He said, I'm 82 years of age, and I've lived 82 years without Christ. But he said, I will not leave this room, with, <laughs> room without him. I'll never forget. And he didn't. I led him to the Lord. And within the next two or three days, I was out playing lawn bowling with him about which I knew nothing. <laughs> but he knew a lot. So he, he also trained me a wee bit in lawn bowling, not to, not to get things off kilter. You know, and these are, these are but simple examples of a lifetime that I've tried to dedicate to evangelism. I haven't given up on that yet. I don't believe in forcing people. I do believe in persuading them. And the challenge I think we all face today, and, and I'm, I'm grateful for what we heard last week, because it was a challenge to us to say, what are we doing on this campus? How clear is our witness? How open? I don't mean how aggressive, not that at all. <coughs> but how open are we about our faith in Jesus Christ? Please remember, 
Nothing is more important than that we take the opportunities God gives us to lead others to Christ. In these and countless other situations, the really important thing is to learn to love as Christ loves. I've had a lifetime of practice of that. And I don't regret it for a moment. In fact, I still have as much passion for it as ever. I don't have quite the vigor I had at 45, now that I'm 80. But yeah, that's all right. You don't worry about that. It's just, you know, age is just a number. <laughs> I don't think it's a very important one either. Um, and before I finish, let me tell you that when I was a boy, we used to sing a hymn in, in our, my home church. It came from the Sankey Simbuk. Some of you who have got a history of olden times will know of Sankey Simbuk. And they had a, there was a hymn we used to sing in, in the church. And it began with these words, There is no love like the love of Jesus. Never to fade or fall. Turn into the field, fold of the peace of God. He has gathered us all. That was my father's favorite hymn. My father was a very unashamed witness to Christ. Again, he was not at all aggressive. He taught me better than that. But he did teach me not to be ashamed. Somebody did piggybacking on last Sunday's, last Wednesday's message. We have been given a treasure in the gospel. But let's, in treasuring it, let's share it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the great good news of the gospel. We pray that it may always excite us and lead us and inspire us. And may our lives manifest the devotion to you that is above every other one. To this end, bless us now as we share this time of worship in Jesus' name.